you'd never tell your kid you're a bad kid. Uh, no. It's essentially what you're saying is when you're a sinner, mm-hmm. you're a bad kid. I mean, that's what I hear. I think that's synonymous with sinner, bad kid. Yeah. Well, that's at least what the kid's hearing. At least the kid in me hears that. Yeah. Bad person, bad human, bad soul, evil soul. Yeah. And every good parent knows about this whole idea that you don't basically strike down the character of a person. It's an act, right? There's a difference between the act and the actual person. Yes. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor, the antidote to conventional financial wisdom. My name is Al, and I've been a financial advisor for over 20 years. This podcast will explore the emotional and psychological factors that affect our behaviors. All of the other financial podcasts out there will talk about the numbers and the math. We will confront the stories that we all fuse with that ultimately set the course for our lives. I am not looking for new clients and have no intention on running for any kind of office. I'm going to tell you like it is and call out all the commonplace BS. Now, let's get into confessions of a financial advisor. Welcome to Confessions of a Financial Advisor. I'm Al, and I'm here with a special guest for episode 37, Parenting Without Religion. I'm here with Virginia Elder, and Virginia is my podcast producer and editor. She's been putting this whole thing together for me for close to a year at this point. And she's down in Texas, and I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina. We're going to have a conversation of how we parent without religion. So welcome, Virginia. Hey, Al. Hey, Virginia. Good to have you here. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. I'm glad you're here. And we have a really intense topic to talk about. Well, it feels intense. It's not really intense. I mean, it's what people make of it. It's interesting. Yeah, we've titled it Parenting Without Religion. Yes. And me being from New York, but now I live in the Bible Belt of the South in Charlotte, North Carolina. Virginia lives in Texas. Yes. <laughs> and grew up in a Baptist family. Been in Texas my whole life. Have my family in Texas. Yeah, the belt goes pretty far around this country. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the vast majority of Americans are yeah. at least affiliated with some kind of religion. And in this particular area, it tends to be Christianity, yes. baptism, Catholicism. Yeah, and to put this conversation in context... We're not talking about all religions. We're kind of narrowed it down to like Judeo-Christian, just because that's what we grew up around. That's the predominant religion in the United States. So parenting. So we believe <laughs> we believe you can parent without religion, believe it or not, by the title of this post. Right. And how, how do kids get their ethics and their morals? Well, how do they know the difference between right and wrong without religion? Mm-hmm. I believe that's common sense. It's very obvious. Like we believe that kids have this internal compass, that they're born with this knowledge. They know what's right and wrong. They know not to cheat, kill, steal. All of the things that religion makes you believe need to be taught or need to be like shoved down your throat and constantly put in your face. Right. No, it's I believe there's an internal compass. I know what's right and wrong. You know, I don't want them stealing from me. So why would I do that to them? And that's the biggest rule in our household is doing to others as you would have done unto you. Right. So we're not specifically religious. We don't attend church. I do want to say we're not atheists. We don't hate religion. Right. We don't reject its existence. We just aren't followers of any particular religion. So instead, we tend to have conversations with our kids about open-mindedness and listening to your conscience. We do our best to model good behavior, good ethics, morale, and influence our kids that way. And we have open conversations about, well, you know, I made a bad decision here and I'm sorry. Really trying to lean into parenting from an honest, truthful, vulnerability perspective instead of you're inherently a sinner. You have to repent for your sins and all of Mm -hmm. that. I want my kids to know 
as they grow up, that they are inherently good and that they can listen to that voice inside and use that as their moral compass and make good decisions that way. I don't want them to rely on another source outside of them in order to make good decisions or have a good life or to treat other people well. You mentioned something about like good and bad decisions. There's a big difference between Mm -hmm. telling a child that, you know, that's probably a bad decision or telling a child that's a sin and that makes you a sinner and there's something wrong with you, but there's something wrong with all of us. Right. There's this thing called original sin you know, there was Adam and Eve and what Adam took the bite of the apple. And then because of that, we're all sinners. I'm like, what, wait, what, what just happens? Yeah. (laughs) What does that have to do with me? I didn't bite the apple. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't bite anything. I have nothing to do with this. I'm like, this is some book some dudes wrote like in 2000 years ago. I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. And I remember from a child's, my common sense told me like, this is not true. This is like a fairy tale. Mm-hmm. It's like any other story. I literally believed in Santa Claus more than I believed in God and Jesus and all that. Yeah. And that never went away. The first real epiphany I had like to get a different worldview was when I was in college and I took a philosophy course mm-hmm. and they talked about Buddhism. I'm not going to try to explain Buddhism, but like the basic premise is you're born perfect. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not a sinner you're perfect. Life happens and environment and society and mm-hmm. all the stimulus that's coming at you. And it creates like these clouds, which would be anxiety and heavy emotions and fear and all that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. Buddhism is just a way of life to try to move those clouds out of the way so you can see that you are perfect and that you are that open sky. Yeah. I remember hearing that basic premise and I was like, that's so much better. It's <laughs> so much better. Yes. It feels so much better. Like, I want to believe that. I do. Ne- I never want to believe I'm a sinner. Right. And I never believed I was. I'm like, so it was a weird thing. I'm like, I understand that I could make wrong choices or... Mm-hmm. But to call them sins, that's just... Makes it... It gives it like this evil context. Right. Well, and I can't imagine the weight on a child's heart the first time that concept actually sinks in, you know, cause they, maybe your parents took you to church since you were zero, but probably around five years old or so, you probably really start to hear some of the stories and absorb, oh my gosh, I am a sinner. I am bad. Yeah. I, I need to be saved. Beg for forgiveness. Just the weight on a child's heart. I mean, like that breaks my heart. Yeah. And I actually pretty vividly remember my experience being a child and kind of having that epiphany or whatever and going to my parents in tears and being like, I need to be saved and all of this, you know, because that was what I was being taught. I really believed that that was the right thing to be saved, to be baptized. And somewhere along the path toward being an adult, I kind of woke back up, I guess, and was just like, nah, that's bull. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) But I do very strongly remember just feeling that weight that I was a bad person. It was just so heavy. And so even just the other day, disciplining my own kids, I'm talking to my son face to face and I'm telling him, you made a bad choice. You're not a bad person. I love you. I always love you. And I believe that you're good and that you can do good things. Yeah. But you need to think about your choice that you made and make a better one next time. And I was just going to say, and just think of like the words that you're saying. So like, you'd never tell your kid, you're a bad kid. <sighs> no. It's essentially what you're saying is when you're a sinner, mm-hmm. you're a bad kid. I mean, that's what I hear. I think that's synonymous with sinner. Bad kid. Yeah. Well, that's at least what the kid's hearing. At least the kid in me hears that. Yeah. Bad person, bad human, bad soul, evil soul. Yeah. And every good parent knows about this whole idea that you don't basically strike down the character of a person. It's an act, right? There's a difference between the act and the actual person. Yes. Always tell children, like, you definitely have to have respect for individuals, but you don't necessarily have to have respect for ideas. Ideas could be good or bad. Right. And you're allowed to question them. There's no question that's unaskable. Right. And I think a lot of times when we get in these conversations with some people that are religious, it gets offensive because I ask questions that are uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Just even the why question. Like, why do you believe that? Mm -hmm. Was there any factual evidence? Well, the Bible. And it just goes in this loop where it goes back to the Bible and faith. Right. The Bible and faith kind of trump any argument. So I've been in so many conversations where it goes down that path 
And I started to realize, I'm like, it's not worth having the conversation anymore because you can't loop back around and have your final answer be the same thing. That's not evidence. Well, and I think that's where I say, maybe you're braver than I am because we haven't had that conversation (laughs) outside of, you know, our family, my husband and I, and then very close friends. Yeah. So I haven't been brave enough, really. Texas. I mean, I feel like if you raised your hand and you asked that question, you might be burned at the stake or something. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I really wanted to have you on this because I wanted to get that perspective, you know, because it's so different than mine. It is different for the kids too, because it's like, oh, I wonder if so-and-so can play. And of course not right now, but yeah. Oh, well, it's Sunday. I don't know. Do they go to church? And so there's always this question of like, is someone available here? It's so common that everyone goes to church. Yes. If you're out doing something else on Sundays, it's like, oh, sweet. You don't go to church too? Oh, hey, <laughs> you want to be friends? <laughs> yeah. Lots of open tables for uh, breakfasts on Sunday, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. yes. So that's that's been funny for the kids. And that's part of where the initial question came up for them to say, what is church? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? You know, what is a church? Yeah. Why do people go to church? And I think like kids need to know of the power of reinforcement that happens at a church. Mm -hmm. So you have all mostly like-minded individuals where nobody's questioning what they're saying. Right. And then if somebody like me comes in, I start like pressing some buttons and like, Hey, what about this? What about, what do you, no, it doesn't make much sense. Can you explain this? They don't want to hear that. Mm -hmm. I think we all gravitate toward people that have similar belief structures, but I also Mm -hmm. like hearing opposites. You know, I want to hear, I don't, I think that would get very boring after a while. Like if everybody's just like kind of reinforcing, oh, yeah. oh, I believe that too. And I believe that too. I want to hear, I mean, it's kind of like politics, right? You have Democrats, you have Republicans, you have, you have the left, you have the right, you have like this whole spectrum of ideas, mm-hmm. but religion's sort of like one idea. It's this, this is what we believe. Right. It's kind of like the open-mindedness is such an important thing, I think, for children. Right. Just to give them the confidence to like believe themselves, to think for themselves. Mm-hmm. Look around and like you're allowed to question. I think religion makes you believe that you can't question what they're saying. We're authority. Yes, that's what I was gonna say too. I'm glad you went there because they're in a position mm-hmm. of authority. And then there's all these traditions that are aligned with this belief. And you just don't question those traditions. You show up, you shut up, yeah. you give your 10% and you fall in line. It's like a 401k payment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, and that was, I, I do want to know your take on this too, but that was a big piece for me, <laughs> just from the financial perspective. 10% of your salary. 10% when a lot of people can't even contribute 10% to their retirement or aren't saving 10% or... right. But then here you are supposed to give 10% right off the top to your local church because they said so. Because God told them, right? God believes that you should. Yeah. Yes. Empty your pockets and you will be healed. (laughs) And that was something that I remember that kind of irked me. Even when I was a kid, Mm. it was like this thing, like I knew we didn't have that much money. And here I was watching that plate go around and I see my parents put money in it. And I'm thinking, wait, we can give to this, but we can't go out to eat. Mm. Hold on a second. This is bull. (laughs) You know, look (laughs) at this beautiful place. Look at all these people. Look at this big thing that the church just did for so-and-so. And we're expected to contribute. Yeah. But we can't have hamburgers. Virginia... I want to kind of like circle back. I could feel the tension of like any religious people listening to this, like the cringe of like, well, wait a second. You're not talking about any of the benefits. True. You know, and I'm like, all right, so let's list the benefits. Yeah. And I think the utility of religion, the community, you have a group of people that you get to get together with, you become friends with these people. It becomes literally like a community. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great thing. Yeah. And I think that community is really attractive to a lot of people. And that may be initially why they get into something. Maybe they're new to the area and they think, okay, we got to meet some people. We got to make some friends. Let's join the church on the corner. Probably a bunch of people in this neighborhood go to this church. 
And that's what people crave most is the connection. Yes. Feeling like you're surrounded by like-minded people that support you. Yes. And we also mentioned the utility of praying, right? So praying, Mm -hmm. and I thought back to when I was a kid and I was thinking of what would be like a conversation I'd have with God as a kid. Maybe it'd be something like, God, I feel overwhelmed by my math test tomorrow. I don't know. And so-and-so, you know, didn't like me. And can you help me with having this girl like me? And -and so-and-so, I almost got into a fight with so-and-so. And you're basically journaling in your head and talking through all the problems you have and mm-hmm. the outcomes that you want. Right. And so why would you not feel better after praying? Yeah. In our minds, we've sort of projected out that we're talking to this you know, mystical character, whether it's Jesus or God or what have you. Mm-hmm. What's really going on is you're having an internal dialogue with yourself mm-hmm. and you feel better after you have that internal dialogue because it's just like journaling. You're writing out your thoughts. You're talking yeah. out your thoughts. Yeah, the same way people do affirmations or visualization or guided meditation or whatever, it's this conscious download of stuff that went wrong, stuff that went well, what you'd like to happen, and a subconscious level of what are things I could do to make that happen, Mm -hmm. make my dreams come to, you know, whatever it is, you know, okay, God help me make this girl like me or something. Well, maybe you're struck with an idea of to do something sweet for her. Yes. Was that God or was that your own internal compass telling you something nice to do? I think it was God, Virginia, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, you're killing me. Yeah, to give again. So to circle back to all the religious people, I get that there's utility in community of going to church. Mm -hmm. There's utility in prayer, which I believe is internal dialogue or is synonymous with meditation or, Mm -hmm. you know, the last few things that you said about that. So yeah, like all those are good things. But when it comes to like ethics and morals and teaching your children that's where the disconnect happens because like, I don't think it's necessary. And I think it's detrimental in many, many ways to children. Mm -hmm. There's one more thing. Like when you do this prayer thing, there's also this weird feeling when you do that kind of projection, especially if you do it with like God and God's like all loving, you know, because I think I had that kind of image when I was a kid too. Mm -hmm. Oh, this is all loving character. And he's like the father figure. And I'm just Mm -hmm. telling him all my sins and he's going to forgive me. Mm -hmm. It's like a kind of like a a release of guilt, a release of shame, a release of... There was good feelings when it came to prayer. There was bad ones too. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to at least hold out the olive branch to the religious people out there and say, we get it. It's not that we think everything's bad. Right. And that's where, you know, I'm sure we could both highlight that we don't go around like bashing religious people. Right. We've taught our kids to be respectful of other religions and other beliefs. And just because someone else believes something different than you, that's okay. You can still be friends. You can still like them. That's where that open-mindedness piece comes in is that I want them to see that it's okay to be different and it's okay for other people to be different from you. And it's okay to love and respect those people. Because that's how we seriously try to live our lives and model that for them. And that can be challenging, you know, and there's times where we make mistakes and mess up and mutter something ugly. And we have to own up to that and tell the kids, you know, yeah, I said something that was not nice. And I'm going to try to work on that. And there again, that shows them we're not perfect. Mm -hmm. We're able to be vulnerable and apologize and... I'm able as an individual to believe in myself and make a better choice going forward versus praying and repenting and that whole thing. Yeah. But that's where like, yeah, we have lots of religious friends and we care about them and love them and hang out with them. And it's not coming from a place of anger or hate or anything like that. Fear. Yeah. It just doesn't align with my beliefs and the way that I want to raise my child. Well, when you think about religion, it's a fear-based ideology. Because we don't know what happens after death, because we don't know how the mystery of life happens. I mean, how is it that we're born? You know, it's like, 
there's all these mysteries. Mm-hmm. We're uncomfortable having that uncertainty. So religion is the answer to that, saying, this is why. This is why you were born. This is why you die. Mm-hmm. This is the meaning behind everything. And I find that it kind of goes against all of the mystery then, because then like you're basically negating everything in life that's mysterious. The mystery to me is like an amazing thing. Yeah. It's like this small blip in time that you're alive on the spectrum of existence. Yes. And how do we get here? And how do we die? I think the fear of death is what really gives religion its strongholds. Yes. I don't think that's ever going away anytime soon. People are fearful of death and they're fearful of a lot of things. I totally agree. And that was actually, we have had some older animals and they have passed. And so we've gone through that grief as a family. And so, of course, there's questions. Well, what happens to them? Mm. Well, they're gone, honey. They died. And... So that experience, as hard as it was, it actually prompted some really good conversations about what we believe and why, and just that you're here when you're here, and when you're gone, you're gone. And the world keeps turning, and people keep going, and they miss you, but their life still moves forward. And tying that into that religious piece, we were able to explain in a related but different conversation that people are drawn toward religion because they have a hard time believing that when you die, that's it. Right. They want to believe that there's something else, that there's some bigger meaning, that there's, you know, something bigger for all of us, a purpose to this life. That's where I think it was an important point to make to my kids that, No, you don't get a second chance. This is your life. This is your time to be the best human you can be. Mm. And if you want to do something amazing in the world, you have one life to do it. And so live it up. Of course, our kids are little. So we're always trying to encourage them. You know, you can be an astronaut. You can be this. You can invent things. Yeah. Trying to give them imagination in that direction versus believing in something that's intangible and really hard for them to imagine. Yeah. I really like to be able to back things up with facts and logic and science. We'll watch different like Nova and cool, like discovery channel kind of stuff. And that stuff explains how the world formed and why the earth's plates move a certain way and stuff like that. I like teaching my kids that versus, oh no, God's controlling all of these things. Right. Sam Harris talks a lot about this. If you ever get a chance to listen to him online. Anyway, he talks about the idea. He's like, well, God, this is God and Jesus, right? And they're overlooking everybody in this world. And they're basically, they know your thoughts. They know your prayers. They know everything. They have universe upon universe upon universe to like attend to. But they're very acutely aware of the earth and the primates that are on earth, right? So there's God and Jesus have all these worlds and universes to attend to, but they're very concerned with what we're doing. And they're especially concerned what we're doing when naked. (laughs) (laughs) Right. When you really think about it in that context, it's like, what is this? Like, what are you guys talking about? Right. You know, then it gets into like how the Bible's against homosexuals and the slavery is okay and that mm-hmm. that stars can fall out of the sky and all these claims that science makes ongoing as science advances that shows religion in certain aspects was wrong. Yeah. It never works in the reverse. It never works that religion explains that science was wrong. Right. This book, the Bible, was written by men thousands of years ago, they just didn't have the tools and the advancement and technology to explain some of the amazing things that we experience every day. And so they created this massive book, compilation of amazing stories. But there's also a lot of things that are highlighted, like you said, that we don't do anymore that are frowned upon, like slavery and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so when something was created so long ago, How is it that so many people can still just blindly believe and grasp onto that book with white knuckles? 
over things that have been completely proven Mm -hmm. because of the advancement of technology. And so that's the piece that just is mind boggling to me. I was raised following the Baptist rhetoric and there was a lot of confusion and that confusion is laced with guilt. And, you know, there's so many feelings that having that religion piece in my life created that I'm having to work through or that I have been working through into my adult life Mm -hmm. that I, I really think that my kids could do without. And I think with our parenting perspective, we really try. We are mm-hmm. not perfect parents by any means, but we really try to think through five steps ahead. What is this phrase that I'm saying and how are they going to take it? Yeah. And where will it go versus opening the Bible and reading a story and say, okay, well, what do you think? Were you acting like a good Samaritan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like we can have simpler conversations based on logic, common sense, reason, respect. Yeah, a little empathy. Yes. Throw throw that in there. Yes. Well, you just mentioned about the Bible. Just imagine there was a medical text from 2,000 years ago. Right. So the same people that are religious, you think they would go to a hospital and say, listen, there's this medical text from 2,000 years ago. I want you to go diagnose my disease based on this text. Never, right? Never in a million years. They want the most updated, advanced technological procedures. Proven. Proven. That's been tested. Yes. But for whatever reason in that category, that doesn't apply. And this is where religion gets this get out of jail free card of just, you know, it just is what it is. It was 2000 years ago, but it's true then. It's true now. Mm-hmm. But that's really the only context where you would think something that old. Yeah. And especially making the claim that it's, again, you know, the creator of the universe and creator of everything. And Well, and I, I sympathize and I understand why it hasn't changed. Because think about how much guts it would take to stand up and say, okay, half of the stuff in the Bible is no longer true. Let's rewrite it and incorporate some science and some current things and, you know, whatever. And like, we're going to redo everything that religion is based on. Nobody's going to stand up and do that because it's got this massive community behind it that is hard believers. Yeah. And so, yeah, no one's going to say, okay, well, let's take this story out because it talks about slavery. Let's take this story out because it talks about homosexuals being evil. I I sympathize and I understand why it hasn't changed, but I also wish this conversation would be a lot more open with a lot more people and for them to give me the same understanding and say, yeah, you know, yeah, I, I definitely can see how like almost half of the book that we base our lives on is out of date and invalid. Yeah. But almost by definition, religion is not open-minded because, you know, you're believing in one thing and there's nothing that's ever going to dissuade you. Right. There's no amount of evidence that's going to dissuade you from believing what you believe. And that's what we were also talking about with teaching the kids about reality. And Mm -hmm. how do you differentiate between what's reality And what's just like pure nonsense, right? right? I mean, so we tell our kids that there's this, you know, big, fat, chubby guy who has a big white beard and he brings presents like every Christmas, (laughs) right? And they believe that for a while and they get a little older, the 12, you know, now we don't believe that anymore. Right. But for whatever reason, like adults just go on believing in this Bible and Jesus, the story of father and son and crucifix and the, the ultimate sin and and know. that's where even yeah. we've definitely played along with the santa thing but we even as parents have questioned ourselves because we're like okay we have said very clearly we won't lie to the kids and we won't tell them oh yeah you know the bible's true and pray to god and all that so because we view that as this theoretical kind of make-believe angle in the same breath right but then in the same (laughs) breath we're going with santa here like okay like are we doing the right thing and so we talked about it's fine 
because it's like a fantasy, right? And Santa is this short lived fun experience that kind of is exciting and silly and kind of just the whole magic of Christmas kind of thing. It's part of our culture and it's very, yeah. yeah. Where we will go with that versus religion is that, you know, the religious piece is like a lifelong belief. And a lot of the stories that are pushed in the church are very impactful for decision-making for your life. If you stick with it. And like I said, you know, I'm still working Mm -hmm. through some of the stuff that I was told as a child. So that's where I don't think Santa is going to impact my child's future as far as their mental ability to choose right from wrong. Right. He knows whether you're naughty or nice, right? I mean, it was a little (laughs) bit of like that, but I mean, that's kind of fun. Yeah. We felt like it was like a short-lived fun kind of surprise element to it yeah. versus guilt, closed-mindedness. You know, a lot of times I was able to see as a kid that it was all talk. But then when you really looked into things, the same people doing all the talking weren't walking the walk. Yeah. Oh, we, that's right. That irks me so badly. And so, so it's just, to us, that's where we were able to draw the line and say, okay, we'll go with this fun character, but we're not going to go with this lifelong layer of guilt. And yeah, we kind of talked about being unapologetic about my views of religious people and my experience, just coming from firsthand experience, what mm-hmm. I've seen, mm-hmm. the majority of people that I've seen and met and that interacted with that are very religious seem to they not hold up to the pedestal they put themselves on. If anything, it winds up being the opposite. It winds up being, again, it's not categorizing everybody, but it's what I've experienced. Like they've cheated on their wives and they're preaching not to commit adultery or they're on such this high kind of soapbox and like, I'm the best and I'm so much yeah. moral than everybody else. And and they're the same people that will talk behind your back when you're not around and talk behind other people's backs and... It's happened so many Mm -hmm. times over where I've seen that, where I'm like, wait a second. I'm like, obviously I can't categorize all religious people as having those characteristics. There's good people too. There's good and bad everywhere, right? Exactly. But in the same breath, it seems to be swayed a little bit toward the majority of the people that I've met that Mm -hmm. are religious. They're not people that I look up to or respect. Right. I've definitely got a sense of, it could be almost perceived as arrogance or like a self justification mm-hmm. kind of uh, vibe going on just basically like that they view themselves as better. Yes. The level of judgment that I see and feel typically when I'm in the presence of really religious people is shocking. Yeah. I just I don't think you should judge other people that way. I try not to for sure. And there again, it's the open-mindedness. Like I really try to model just being accepting of people, no matter who you are, what religion you are, what color you are, whatever. I don't care if you're purple. Yeah. If you're cool, let's be friends. Yeah. It's definitely more palatable when they're open-minded. So I have a friend that's very religious Uh and he's one of the very few friends that I, that's a close friend that is very religious, but it's just that he's open-minded and he doesn't shove it down my throat. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't have that arrogance about it. It's more, it's his internal belief. We yeah. can have conversations about it. I could ask him questions. He'll give me answers. I might not agree with his answers. It's okay with him. It's okay with me. Yes. But it, that's rare, at least in my experience. Yes. and But that's so cool that you found someone like that. Yes. We have a few other couples that we're friends with that we feel like we can have these open conversations with. Mm -hmm. And it's very much the same thing. They grew up religious, probably from two different religions on the ones that I'm thinking of off the top of my head. Yeah. And they've come together and now they have their own little family and they aren't practicing any kind of religion. And and they're interested in, you know, what kind of conversations should we have with our kids and how do we explain Mm -hmm. this? And again, not that we're so experienced or so perfect and good at this, but we're just trying. And that's what we tell them. Just try. Yeah. And like looping it back around to the kids, like you said, like, why is it not okay to tell your kids that you don't know something? Right. 
I think that's what it comes down to too. It's that I think parents, at least religious parents feel a need to like direct their kids and tell them you need to believe this. Mm -hmm. This is the way the world works. This is what happens after you die. Mm -hmm. All things obviously are a work in progress. Most of them we don't know. Mm -hmm. So I'll be the first one to tell my children if they ask, which they haven't. Dad, where do you, what do you think about God? I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. It's a mystery. We don't, nobody knows. Philosophers throughout history have been trying to figure this out. And that's the thing. That's the beauty of it. You can't know. You can never know the truth and come back and tell us. Just yeah. happen. And just that honesty that you have with your kids, I think will pay dividends down the road because they'll believe in everything you say. Like once they realize that like you're being a straight shooter with them, you're not shoving yeah. dogma down their throat. You're not, you don't have any angle to make them believe in something that you believe. Right. I just tell them, I don't know. What do you think? You know, right. I'm open to ideas. Right. <laughs> I, I want to hear what you think. And- Thank you that you said that. I really appreciate that because that's what we've been talking about and been trying to do is because we said before we had kids that we want to establish solid relationships with them and we want them to always be able to come to us, whether it be about mm-hmm. sex or drugs or I don't know, something scary. Yeah. And I want there not to be a wall there or fear or judgment or apprehension. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And so, okay, back up 10 steps. How do you create that kind of a relationship. And that's where we went with like super logic, honesty, honesty, vulnerability is huge. You know, being able to apologize and share with your kids that you messed up or that you got too angry, you know, or that's a big, one. I agree. That's a big one. That's where we've really tried to focus on that piece and be super honest with them. Yeah. I don't want to create barriers there that we could avoid now. I feel like my parents, they did it in a weird way with probably not knowing it. So my mom was religious, but she never shoved it down my throat. I mean, I did the five-year-old till seventh grade. Yeah. Communion, well, baptism, communion, confirmation, the whole thing, Catholic religion. It was just what she did. It was what her parents did. It was just sort of like this down the line kind of thing, which you would never sit me down and preach to me about Jesus or anything. And it was only till I, I became an adult that I used to prod her with conversation, you know, where I'd ask her, what do you know, what do you think about this? Well, yeah, I believe in Jesus and I believe in that. And she'd get so upset, like when I told her I didn't believe. She's like, how could you not believe? Well, I'm like, why do you believe, mom? And she'd always say like, that's just what my parents taught me. I'm willing to bet it was surprising to her because she probably had taken you to church since you were zero. So how could you have played along mm-hmm. all this time and suddenly you're coming at me with questions? Right. <laughs> well, well, that's the thing. She wasn't really a practicing Catholic. She was one of those. We were like Christmas and yeah. Easter Catholics. <laughs> we had church twice a year. You know, she would tell me that she has a direct line with God. She doesn't need Ooh. to go to church. Yeah, that was her workaround. That's a good one. <laughs> I thought. I thought so. Yeah, I was like, all right, my mom's got a direct line to God. Yeah, that's pretty funny. So, well, and for our kids, my husband's parents still go to church and all that. And so I think we were out of town or something and the kids stayed with them. And so they went to church with them. And so when they came back, they had all these questions. Uh-huh. And it was a really entertaining and quite a fine line to be able to walk to say why we don't do that. Yeah, You know, I told the kids like, yeah, that's cool. Did you like it? Did you have fun with them? Did did you get to color some cool pictures or something? Because I don't know. That, but it was interesting to try to explain that that's fine and that's good. And if you want to go to church with grandma and grandpa, that's great. Go for it. Yes. And lots of friends go to church. And so there again, we're teaching them, I think, I hope, to be open-minded and to be accepting that others might do things differently than you. And that's okay. And we tell them all the time, you know, different is beautiful. Yeah. So that's really important to me that while we may not practice or believe, I still want them to learn to be respectful of other people that do. Well, and you're also talking about it one step further. You're saying that it's even okay for them to be involved in tr- in the traditions yeah. of the religion. Why not? Maybe it's fun. Maybe you meet some cool friends there. Sure. 
why not? And you're painting pictures of a cross and Jesus, who yeah. cares, right? I painted all those crosses myself and I came up with my own decisions eventually. Me too, exactly. And I, the two other things I wanted to just mention, the way religious people talk about certain things is, you know, life only has meaning to them because of this religion. Mm. And, you know, the only reason I'm happy is because of this religion. Like, I wouldn't have any direction in my life without this. Yeah. So a lot of people talk in those types of angles where, Mm. how do you have any meaning in your life without religion? I wouldn't have any meaning. And I'll speak for myself. If I claim something that I didn't know and that gave me meaning, Mm -hmm. those two don't go together for me. Like that doesn't make sense in my mind. That couldn't happen in my head. Like I have to make sense of something. Mm-hmm. I have to have some kind of evidence that it's true. Yeah. And then I can get some meaning from it. But to go from, I'm going to believe in a fictitious fable or whatever we want to call it. And then from there, I'm going to get meaning out of that. Mm-hmm. I find that very hard to... And I think this is why so many of us as adults are drawn to, I'll use the example, like a social media post that's just super simple. It says you are enough or you Mm -hmm. are worthy or just anything that basically tells you that you have the answers inside of you and to believe in yourself and do what you need to do and that you have an inherent purpose. And so many adults are trying to like discover their purpose right now. Right. Because oh, that's huge. Right? As a young child, many of us were raised in a religious situation where it's basically beaten into your head that you're unworthy and that you need to follow this roadmap of religion. Of this is how you live your life. This is what you do. This is what you say. This is where you're at on Sunday. This is your booth you sit in. It's just so mapped out. And so we yeah. become robots and we're just following authority and tradition. The herd. Yes. When we kind of start to realize some of this, we're going, okay, well, what am I supposed to do with this life? What is my purpose? Why am I here? What What is the impact on the world that I'm meant to create or to do? Yeah. I think as kids, you're just so pure and innocent that you can probably feel and see a lot of what your purpose is Mm -hmm. from a very young age. But we forget that because we're constantly clouded and influenced by so many other things. Yeah, That's where so many of us realizing as adults that we are worthy and that we are important and perfect and meant to make an impact is so impactful to us. Yeah. And it's okay to be in that uncertainty too. Mm -hmm. I think the idea of uncertainty is so uncomfortable for people that Mm -hmm. they need to hold on to something. Like something needs to know. I need something, you know? Yeah. Well, it's that uncertainty of what happens to you after you die. Yes. When something terrible happens, we really struggle to find meaning in it. You know, maybe there's a car accident. We knew that person and they were a good person and we're super pissed that they're not here anymore. But we struggle to find meaning in that. Yeah. And sometimes there's not an explanation. And so we turn to religion to right. help coach ourselves through that. And so I understand why, but I'm also not willing to rely on some external source to explain a situation or to be able to coach me through it. The answer, I don't know, isn't good enough. You can't say that. You have to know. Right. And that's where the the religion piece helps define where you go when you die or why did this happen? Yeah. God always has a reason, right? There's a, don't, you never question God. Oh, yeah. you know, God has a reason. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, and there again, say if a kid comes to you and they're asking why and your answer is, oh, God has a reason. Don't question it. You just shut that kid down. Mm-hmm. I mean, you just told them like, don't ask questions. This is how it is. Never question the will of God. Yes. That trumps anything, right? That's, yeah. you've closed off the conversation. Right. Yeah. Have faith. Have faith. (laughs) (laughs) Makes me shudder. Yeah. Okay. But that's where it's so backwards because here we are encouraging our children to ask questions learn. You don't know why. Get a book. Look it up. We have Google. We have all these amazing resources. And I want them to be curious and amazed at 
the world and the events and maintain that sense of wonder, innocent. Yeah. Wonder, curiosity, Mm -hmm. all of those are amazing things. And if you can maintain that through life, I mean, I can't even imagine what you can do. Yeah. But that's where I feel like a lot of times religion kind of stamps that out of you. Agreed. I've heard it called like the epitome of narcissism because you think it's all about you. Like you're like, there's this God and there's the sun. It's a, they're looking down on me and they're hearing all my prayers and it's literally all about you, but they spin it. No, no, no. I'm all about praising God. Mm -hmm. Like the whole storyline is about you though. You're a character in this story that you've made up. So it's strange. It's this weird kind of, Obviously, a man-made story, and uh, we were talking about the father and son. There's no women that wrote the Bible. <laughs> yeah, isn't that kind of crazy, right? Yeah, the smartest of the species didn't write oh, it. Yeah, wow. <laughs> that's nice of you. <laughs> Many people would agree with that. Yeah, and it just winds up being this pressure to conform. Mm-hmm. When you talk about the difference between religions and cults, I think I've said this in a prior post. Mm-hmm. The only difference between the two is that one has a bigger following, Yeah. right? I mean, it's just the size of the following. And is more broadly accepted. You know, a cult tends to be like, oh, what are they doing over there? You know, that's terrible. They're drinking Kool-Aid. But so masses amount of people who are drinking that same Kool-Aid, like that's acceptable. Hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. The more people, the more it has to be true, right? Well, and that goes back (laughs) to there's power in numbers. Yes. And they're all reinforcing each other, right? So now you got a billion people all in unison saying, this is what we believe. This is what, oh, they believe that? They Oh, we must be true. You know, everybody believes it. Well, and a point that I wanted to make was, you know, we kind of talked about community a little bit and how attractive that community is. And I have seen and been a part of growing up churches that do great work as far as charity and, you know, like Habitat for Humanity and awesome things, whereas the church itself is contributing to a greater cause. And I think that's wonderful. And it's really common. A lot of churches do that kind of work. Mm -hmm. But my thing, especially with the kids, is I want to show them that you don't have to be a part of an organization to do good, helpful things for society. You can work at the food pantry. You can help the community in any way. You can get involved in building homes for homeless people or any of that stuff on your own as a family or with a group of friends, you don't have to be affiliated with religion to be able to be a good person and do good things. Yes. And I think that argument from the religious perspective that look at all the good things that we do, we build Mm. hospitals, we do this, we do Mm -hmm. that in no way gives any validity to the truth of the religion, it gives validity to the idea that, yeah, you're helpful. Yes. And if you trace this back, you know, centuries where all people were religious, there was nobody else to do that work. Right. Everybody was religious. So if you were building a hospital, guess what? It was being done by religious people. It's kind of like a skewed view Mm -hmm. of, you know, yeah, they do good things. Lots of people do good things. Right. And it makes sense that when you have a congregation of you know, some of these mega churches in Texas have thousands of people that attend. And of course, they're not yeah. open right now, but like the Joel Osteen one, right? He's the big one. Oh, yeah. That guy. And there are multiple churches like that in this area that I could easily point out. Mm-hmm. And that's great. You know, you have a ton of people you get together, you throw a bunch of cash in there. Cause think about it if everybody just contributed 10 or 20 bucks to a cause out of that church that's a lot of money and you can do great things. And I love that. Yeah. But I also want the kids to know that you can do great things by just, you know, going to a website and doing some research on a charity and, and finding out where their headquarters is and going and helping and just being a helpful person does not require you to be a believer Mm -hmm. of a certain practice. Of course not. Right. Yeah. That's definitely a good differentiation for a kid to know that you don't need to be one thing to be another. 
And I always tend to think like when you're speaking about these mega churches and you have these, pre- <laughs> you have these preachers that have these multi-million dollar houses and fancy cars. I'm like, Oh yeah. How many children could that feed? You know, if you're so charitable yes. and you're so, why not live, you know, like a, in a monastery, if you're really a man of God, you don't need these materialistic outer pleasures. Like you're a person of God. You want to help people. There's kids starving. You're going to live in a $3 million house. Mm-hmm. Again, I go, I go off on a tangent, but no, I'm with you. I'm with you because I have seen where, and think about it. Think about how, you know, say you're an aspiring preacher. Yeah. Your essential job is to attract enough people into your church to provide you a sustainable life. (laughs) Butts and seats. Yeah. Yes. And so Sure. Maybe you're called and maybe this is something you're really passionate about and you can't wait to spread the word and all of that. That's wonderful. I'm glad you feel passionate. However, there is an interesting twist there as far as you building your community so that you can preach more so that they can give you more money so that you can have a nicer life when you Mm -hmm. have no idea what these people's life is like, and you're expecting them to contribute and tithe every Sunday and all of that. Like I mentioned, you know, my family when we were young, but it was so beat into you and you were a whole person. If you didn't throw some change in that plate, when it came around, even if you had no change, or maybe that was your lunch money. Right. I just, it's, it's like a, a backwards business building model. I don't know. It's just, it's kind of scheming to me. Yeah. Well, that's essentially what it is. Like you said, I mean, 10% of your salary, like what other business would say that? And don't be like mistaken. This is a business. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they basically have, they don't pay any taxes. Right. They control the political, you know, landscape. I mean, I always think, and I remember somebody said this, I can't remember who, that <laughs> something along the idea is like, you could have like the charisma of Oprah, like the looks of Clooney, all of these like qualities. But if you want to be the president of the United States and you don't believe in God, not going to happen. I should even say that if you don't say that you believe in God, right. obviously you can believe whatever you want. <laughs> right. But if you came out on a platform and said you were an atheist, right. never getting elected, never going to happen. No. And there again, that goes to the power in numbers and just how many Americans are affiliated in some way with religion and mm-hmm. how there's this inherent belief by the public that if you're a religious person, you must be a strong stand-up family man or something. God-fearing. Yeah. <laughs> to pull from one of your prior episodes. Yeah, family yeah. man. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, you got, you're got. you on another plane of moral, right? You're on a higher moral yes. high ground. Yeah. We've just talked about how so many people that you meet that are boastfully religious tend to have this internal feeling of hierarchy within themselves that they're just you know, above you and that you're being judged because you don't go to church. There are a lot of times they're hiding something. It's oh, yeah. a ploy. It's a mask that they put on oh, yeah. to hide something. It's it's the perfect mask. Yeah. You say it and people believe it. You don't have to prove anything. Yeah. You just say it. I almost feel bad for people who are living that out because I'm like so sad for them that they can't just be who they are, that they feel like they have to put on this mm-hmm. show for me. I don't care. I mean, there's people that I know fairly close that, you know, maybe live on my street or something where every time I interact with them, I'm like, I feel so bad that they think they have to act like that because I can tell they're not being real with me. Yeah. I just feel bad that you can't be true to who you are because you're trying to project this air of awesomeness because you're this amazing religious person. It seems exhausting, right? When you exactly. look at people like that, I'm like, you exhaust me just looking at you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> How long did you take to get ready this morning? Oh. <laughs> right. Oh, man. I remember how much we would get dressed up to go to mm. church. Okay. Pull out your best shoes and pull out your prettiest dress and make sure you lay it all out. And that's right. My family, you know, we didn't have that much, but they could definitely dress it up. You know, when you were going out shopping, it's like, oh, is this a church dress or is this a school (laughs) dress? And there was, you know, of course, as I became older and I started to really put those pieces together, I was like, what's going on here? What are we trying to 
portray. Yeah. And that's how it was. Like on Sunday, you dressed to the nines and yeah. that's how you showed up to church and you acted like that was your life. There again. Judgments, right? Yes. And it was always about, you know, you'd pull up in the church parking lot and the super nice cars would be in the front row parking spaces. <laughs> and it was this very showy situation. Mm-hmm. There again, as a woman, I've done a lot of internal work as far as how much do looks matter and trying to love myself in my own skin and feeling worthy and just all those same things. And I know men go through that too. Yeah. Self-worth and image and all of that. Yeah. If I could just allow my children to be open-minded from the beginning and learn that that material stuff doesn't matter... Wow, what a difference I have made from one generation to the next. Doesn't that life seem so alien to you now? Like, but when you look at your children, you're like, there's no way in a million years I'd make them (laughs) get dressed to the nines for their Sunday's best and showy and, you know, park the nice cars out in the front of the church. Like, it just seems so polar opposite than the person you Mm -hmm. are. Well, that just the values that you have. I I think it all goes back to that, the values. Mm -hmm. That's not something you value. Like that means nothing. Like the superficial, yeah, showy. I mean, granted, we all have, there's some vanity in all of us, right. but we want to look good. We want to be like in relatively good shape and you want to be presentable. Right. But there's levels, you know, there's a spectrum to this. Right. And there's a difference in looking your best and then looking apart. Yeah. Trying to be someone or exude a certain level of success. Like you said, yeah, like an air of like superiority, you know, where I'll, yeah, I have the nicest dress and the nicest pearls and the perfect hair and the perfect makeup. and Yes. Yeah. And I remember, you know, of course we were little, but after church, we're like running around chasing each other in the parking lot. <laughs> and my parents are like, you're going to ruin your dress. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine telling my kids some of the stuff that I was told and how to act just because we're going to church or just because, oh, this is a good one. Just because we're going to someone's house who Mm -hmm. goes to our church. Mm. Then you got to get dressed for that too. Oh, and you got to act a certain way and don't say this and don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Laced levels of judgment and guilt intertwined in yeah, I didn't share in that kind of, that didn't happen. Well, again, like I said, we didn't go to church much. Mm-hmm. So I didn't, I could see that being like Texas. Yeah. And I was thinking also like the difference between maybe a place like Texas and a place like New York. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of what we're trying to do with our children that happened automatically in New York for me was that I was around so many different cultures, religions, mm-hmm. ethnicities, races, just everything. Just by nature, just by living in that environment, you're just mm-hmm. used to being open-minded because there's no room for being this closed-minded bigot. Right. Or not even a bigot, but just somebody that's just so one-track-minded of just, I believe in this and this is what I believe in. I'm going to tell people what I believe. That's not tolerated in an environment when there's so much diversity. Right. Diane and I have talked about this, but I, yep. I always think... I mean, I'm sure Texas is somewhat diverse too, but I'm guessing it's a different level than like a New York melting pot. Right. It is. And so I love that you came from that and you were able to kind of see that from a young age. Yeah. That's where we are very aware of where we live, who we are, what color our skin is Mm -hmm. and all of these things. We live in white suburbia a lot of the things that are going on in the world right now, I am extremely aware that we are in our own little bubble. Likewise, me too. Yeah. And with that being said, before all this happened, of course, when my kids were infants, we purposely sought out diverse Montessori schools. We have gay and straight and all different colors of friends, Muslim friends. Um, Mm -hmm. We have all all kinds. We've made it a point to immerse them on purpose into situations like that so that they're always able to look around and believe that that's normal and okay. And same thing with religion. We've 
purposely immersed ourselves in very diverse places at different times. You know, we'll go out with our friends to different holidays that we have no idea what they're celebrating, but they're having a good time and we're there to support them. And the kids enjoy the fireworks and whatever. But there again, I feel like we're just normalizing that it's okay to be different. Yeah. And it's okay to be accepting of other people being different. And that was the judgment piece that I wanted to purposely model for them. Just to make the analogy between like, if you're like in a small town, like a white suburban, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there seems to be more of a tendency for everybody to believe in the same sorts of things. Mm-hmm. We all think sort of the same way. We all have the same views and we all kind of reinforce each other's views. You put the same person in 10 different churches, right? Mm-hmm. Now, like every week you go to a different church. It's kind of like being in more like a, a New York where now you're just hearing views on all sides. Mm-hmm. Just by that sheer, like exposing someone to that. Yeah. Just with that experience, they would have so much more to take home and think about. Such a more open worldview. Mm-hmm less of a tendency to go down this one path of discriminating against others. And I think having all of those different views around you at all times, when you go out into the world as an adult, you're like, I've seen all this growing up. I think it's so important. I agree. But Virginia, I know we've gone on for a long time here. (laughs) I know. Well, I enjoyed the conversation anyway, so. It was good. Thank you. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. And to wrap up Parenting Without Religion, please come follow us at faconfessions.com. Please like, subscribe, review, share, and you know, leave us a comment or an idea for maybe a future podcast. But thanks, Virginia, for joining me here. That was, was a good conversation. I had fun. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time. See you next time.